0: Coming up, oh, right now actually, we have an interview with Rachel Beasley, and we're going to be talking to her about the Italian Romance Concerts taking place at the Elizabeth Murdoch Hall of the Melbourne Recital Centre on Friday the 4th of March and the City Recital Hall, Angel Place in Sydney on the 25th of March and the Revolutionary Romance Concerts taking place in September. Hi Rachel, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you very much for having me on the programme. So, uh, I guess with the Australian Romantic and Classical Orchestra. My first question is what draws you to Romantic and Classical music over Baroque or Like more modern classical pieces?
1: Well actually I play the whole gamut so I I perform all that repertoire but for this particular orchestra we wanted to really focus on that repertoire, the Romantic and Classical, so late 18th and mainly the early 19th century repertoire and performing that on the period instruments so on the instruments of the time and using the performance techniques that were used that have been lost over time. I mean I think we're often sort of searching back in time to see actually how how do people look at this music and what were the Interpretations. What was the meaning behind the music? Um, spending a little bit more time in that research area, uh, exploring the composer's intentions a little bit further uh, than we would
0: in a normal symphony orchestra. So, I when I was looking into this, I got really excited because I heard uh, I saw your name mentioned with historically informed performance. Could you tell us a bit about that? Because it sounds really interesting. Yeah, and it stands for hip. So you know, <laughs> we're, the,
1: we're the hipsters of the of the music scene. So yeah, we really like that. And in fact there is a really strong sort of youth energy behind the early music scene I think a lot of times people get a little bit disillusioned by the repertoire they're playing and they're trying to sort of find what questions can I ask that gets me closer to the music what can I find and the first question that we often ask is what are the instruments we're playing on, are they actually the same as what we were using uh, in the, or what the performers were using in the 18th and 19th century and often the answer is no, it, they were different and especially with the wind instruments that's what you find so extraordinary this clarity and real articulation completely different colours than you would normally get from a, a modern orchestra. You can interpret those colours and you can recreate those colours but going back to those original instruments, for the string players we use gut strings so no. um, it's yeah, really getting to the core of the sound if you, if you want to mm. say and and actually it's interesting because I've been doing a bit of research lately on the mind and the gut and you sort of go, hey, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a real connection mm. here. There's something that's closer to the, the tactile feeling because there's quite a bit roughness in those gut strings but it it means that it's got a more speaking quality to the sound and uh, we just really enjoy questioning a bit further. Than the normal musical line.
2: And I want to quickly hone back, stay on that instrument question for a while because yes. as I was researching, you do use hundred-year-old instruments and old instruments. Yes. You've said things so color and like how it speaks. Yes. And more specifically, is that is that a resonance thing? Like how do you what, what for you as an artist do you feel connection with that particular? Yeah.
1: Instrument? Well, I mean, in all um, musical spheres, I mean, you can use old instruments. It's sort of how you use them. So even my modern violin is is old, but for me particularly when I play baroque repertoire I'm playing on an instrument from about 1759 and the classical repertoire I'm playing on an instrument actually from Vienna from 1811 Wow and yeah and I, and I found it in Vienna too so you know that connection also to the country and that that instrument was around at that time when mm-hmm. these composers were performing how does it connect well it takes a little bit of kind of extra care to make them work mm-hmm. <laughs> the wind instruments are there's less of those instruments available so we tend to be using copies of the original instruments mm-hmm. so they go the makers go to the museums and, and study the instruments and then recreate them um, because obviously with the moisture that comes from playing a wind instrument they tend to have got to the point where you can't use them anymore luckily with string instruments we, we generally have uh, the original instruments mm-hmm. the bow which is Arco which is the name of the orchestra mm-hmm. we, we sort of use that acronym Arco in, in Italian uh, meaning the bow oh, and that's, that's right. yeah so wow. that has arco. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that has that slightly different structure to, to a modern bow um, but to be honest this repertoire that we're playing uh, in this program in uh, March is going over the border between uh, these transitional bows and into the modern bows. So you'll find a combination of them actually on stage as well because there was never a date where everyone said, okay, let's switch over to the latest thing. I mean, it is a bit like, you know, uh, using the latest phone. You know, half people are using them and half people are still using their old, you know, (laughs) Nokia's or whatever. So you've got that kind of mix that was going on and I think that creates a bit of a tension um, because you're all trying to play the latest repertoire but some with the older instruments and some with the newer Mm -hmm. setups and i think that really creates a a real buzz um in the sound and we we also perform at a lower pitch so a quarter tone lower Mm -hmm. than the modern pitch and that's slightly more you were saying about resonance that's resonance comes a little bit from that slightly lower pitch
0: Again, with the instruments, following on from that question. I know there's a lot of instruments that just sort of aren't used anymore or aren't around. Is there any like, specific one you can think of that you're like, this should be brought back into modern-day classical music? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, when you when you look at the wind instruments especially, I think there's a lot of different instruments which are not used uh, through the repertoire, but often the composers chose to use that repertoire specifically for certain colours, and when those colours weren't required, then those instruments sort of became out of favour. But there, were, there was a lot more variety in the instruments, especially in the Baroque period. You had different-sized violas, for instance, that really created uh, a different range of dynamics and a different range in the voice. Uh, so you get a little bit with that that now we sort of tend to standardize a little bit more so there was probably a bit more variety within each instrument genre but actual instruments that have died out I I wouldn't really know more (laughs) about that Um, it's just the yeah the variety I mean interesting you can have um, pianos that had lots of different pedals uh, at the time, so the nineteenth century, early nineteenth century pedals, where they would have a drum in the piano or um, sort of special bassoon effects. So you can see that they were really searching for these colours. I mean, we would never get that on a modern piano nowadays, um, or even on a you know the earlier pianos. But this, I think, that's the fun part is kind of going a little bit outside the range of oh, it's just sweet, beautiful music, and finding a little bit more sort of the fun stuff in there (laughs) Mm.
0: um I have a question so you talked about these pieces being um a dialogue between the older how they used to be played and the ones that you're playing now and the dialogue and the questions that come out of that um in terms of your personal playing and um how what questions have come out of that for you
1: Mm. Well, I think they're constantly coming out. I mean, in bowing where I have to sort of mark the parts up in advance. And so um, I spend quite a lot of time, you know, working on, you know, which is the strong bow, which is the weak bow, which which of that sort of rhetorical language that came out of the Baroque period, what continues into the classical and Romantic period. And there was a longer line, I think, um, in terms of that rhetorical gestures than we think or give credit to them in a way. The the, the Latin learning, uh, the way that you thought of speech, the way you thought of drama, the way you thought of the sciences, everything was interconnected during the Enlightenment. And I think elements of that were not weren't lost that quickly the modern period didn't just suddenly take over in the 20th century you've got a little bit more clarity but in the 19th century there was you know when we're playing Mendelssohn you, you're really playing uh, with the same classical lines that you were coming before with Mozart and then through Beethoven but um, again we see we always see history in a very linear way but I think sometimes you've got to kind of figure out which lines are you following mm-hmm. and which ones are you taking are you sort of thinking automatically oh I know that period odds Beethoven so it sounds modern well are we rethinking it enough so it's especially for the romance going back to the what we have is these fantastic early recordings of Marie Soldat even not from particularly from that time but her style of playing um, we have on record now so we can hear that style and they use a lot more expressive techniques um, use of portamenti sliding between one note and the next uh, use of a, a different kind of vibrato so that that's sort of shimmery effect that you get in the sound and a lot more tempo rubato and I think that's what's really exciting about this um, orchestra is that we're looking at ways that it's not so standard the way we're going to perform it. it's going to be a bit different, it's Mm. going to have a little bit more movement and a bit more rubato in, in places where we know the composers were really searching for it but a lot of that's gone out of our playing a lot of times because of rehearsal time there's not enough or the recording engineers want to have everything together absolutely on time and spot on and that wasn't actually the the goal at that time the humanistic element of performing and getting that expression from a place which is not necessarily you know, metronomic. Mm.
2: <laughs> so slightly human, almost like a flaw in a way. Yeah. A, a, yeah. A, a, for a reason.
1: Yeah, that side of it. And we, we know that we respond to music much more when it becomes personal. And I think that's something we also get from a live experience that we don't get from a recording either. And, and that's why I really encourage people to come and experience live performance of music because you you really are absorbed in a completely different uh, mind area than you are just by listening to a, a recording.
0: And um I guess with the composers you're playing like Beethoven, like Mendelssohn, mm-hmm. like Mozart, these are composers that I guess are played time and time again. What do you think draws people to such big composers? Yeah, it's a, it's a
1: fascinating thing, isn't it? That we're, we're still so overwhelmed by the energy, I think, that they create. Beethoven, this Coriolan overture, is, it's just, it just knocks you out of your socks. as soon as you get listen to the opening of it, there's opening chords. You can't help but be transformed by, by that energy and the sound that he must have envisaged in that, the effect that he was trying to get on the audience. And we're still, yeah, there's this human thing. We're still humans. We still get affected, affected by that way. Um, Mendelssohn, he just loved Italy and, you know, just uh, running around and, and enjoying everything there is to offer with the romance but um, also the sort of chaotic nature and you really you really feel that in, in that repertoire. We're not performing Mozart in this program. We we're performing the Italian Serenade by Wolf and um, he was a composer who wrote a lot of songs and this piece is specifically the Italian Serenade is just for strings. So that element for me is something that really draws me to coming to a concert <laughs> hear a string orchestra because it's very rare that you hear that and especially on these beautiful gut strings I think <sighs> that's something special <laughs>
2: um, just we're running out of time but I do have one more question as well and then we can do other things but <laughs> I wanted to focus on your solo performance mm-hmm. and you've talked a lot about sort of the orchestra as a whole but in your own performance what should people perhaps who don't know music so well especially classical baroque music yep. um, what should they listen for? Like, that's going to be new and interesting, and I think the term's revitalised. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, especially in the Elizabeth Murdoch Hall and the Melbourne Recital Centre, we're so lucky to have this space um, in, in Melbourne. I think everyone should just go there and, and just check it out because it's a beautiful space. It's meant to be the inside of a violin, the, the inside of the concert hall. And uh, it really feels like that as a violinist when you perform, you feel like the, the hall is taking over. It's performing for you almost. And um, as a soloist, you're, you're with the orchestra but then you're also on your own and um, I quite like that tutti and solo effect it's a little bit how we feel in society we're alone but we're together in a community so you you really enjoy having that spotlight but then going back to everybody else around and this particular piece is it's quite a short uh, little work and it goes through a range of sort of emotions again but it's uh, yeah, very beautiful F major key is something that Uh, has a real sweetness about it.
2: Mm. So you'll be able to understand it even if you don't understand it. Exactly,
1: (laughs) yeah. And I think that's the thing about music, the more I find is that we we keep trying to think of language to solve everything, (laughs) Mm. to solve all our problems, to solve communication, you know. Actually, language comes in more than just the spoken word. It also comes in music. And if you allow yourself to use that, then I think that, you know, really enhances... Society and and our, in general. This well, that, we've got our sound
2: bite. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's
1: <amazing. laughs> Thank um, you. Just
2: quickly before we finish up, any other projects you're working on or anything else you'd like to plug?
1: Um, well, we're doing uh, lots of concerts at the Melbourne Recital Centre coming up. Uh, Melbourne Chamber Orchestra uh, performing on the 2nd of uh, March, um, actually at Deacon Edge, uh, Federation Square, but also the 5th of March at the Recital Centre. Ludovico's Band, we're celebrating Monteverdi, and with my quartet, Courts, uh, performing with. Sally-Ann Russell we're doing a concert on Tuesday the 14th of March but um, just to backtrack the concert with the Australian Romantic and Classical Orchestra is on the 24th of March not the 4th Mm -hmm. so um, yeah hope that we get a really warm uh, audience to come along to support this because we've been going for three years in Sydney but this is the first time we're bringing the whole orchestra to Melbourne so we're really enjoying
0: that (laughs) beautiful Rachel thank you so much for coming into the studio and chatting with all of us today we've really enjoyed it thank you very much no problem